You're listening to The Message from the Hillsborough United Methodist Church, our weekly sermon broadcast available for working around the home, your commute, or wherever God calls you to listen. priest and preacher and author and professor named Barbara Brown Taylor received a long letter from someone who was struggling with his faith. In her words, she said he was God-haunted, had been for years. He worked in the personnel department of a large plant where he advocated for the rights of employees. His advocacy kept getting him in trouble with the management. His office had been moved twice, further and further away from the office of the managers, where the power was, where decisions were made. He knew the message they were sending him. Pretty soon he wrote in his letter to Barbara, They would build him a little shed out in the back with a tin can for the telephone. His letter was also about his frustration and disappointment with the institutional church and his basic distrust of the gospel. He wrote, how do I know that if I invest the effort and the risk Whatever shred of dignity I have left, if I give all of that, will it work for me? How do I know? If I witness and evangelize, if I quit drinking and throwing away money, if I pray every night, read the Bible daily, take my family to church, when it's open on Sunday, if I speak out at work against racism, sexism, exploitation of any kind, will I be a man transformed or just unemployed, known only for his foolish hypocrisy? This man is a modern-day Jeremiah. He and the prophet Jeremiah had similar complaints with God. Perhaps Jeremiah was considerably louder. After all, he was one of the major prophets in the Hebrew scriptures who perceived that the destruction of Judah was coming. But his lament is very familiar. And it's a long lament to those who feel called by God in its anguish. Oh, Lord, he said, you have enticed me, and I was enticed. You have overpowered me, and you have prevailed. 
The flavor of the original Hebrew goes even deeper than the English translation. Oh, Lord, you have seduced me. And I was seduced. You have forced your will upon me and you have won. It is strong language. It creates uneasiness and skittishness among biblical scholars. The lament of Jeremiah is almost blasphemous, they say, and explain it away by portraying Jeremiah as near breaking point. After all, he had spent the night in stocks after a public flogging by the high priest and chief of police. Was that any place for God's anointed prophet, bound hand and foot like a common thief, bruised from beating? It was not right. None of this was his idea. God had called Jeremiah when he was in his mother's womb. It wasn't as if he had a choice in the matter. He was doing what God had told him to do, saying what God had, had said he should say. And this is what he got. Nothing constructive seemed to be going Jeremiah's way. He had become a local joke. Beggars looked down on him. Children mocked him while their parents snickered. Even his friends had deserted him, put off by his endless tirades. Violence and destruction is coming. That was the message God had given him to proclaim. Although the evidence backing up his message was either absent or denied. Because everything seemed fine to the people of Judah. They were prosperous. Their national defense was strong. They had a comfortable relationship with God. They did not bother God unless they needed something. Jeremiah was the person God had sent to wake them up. But no one was listening. And Jeremiah, for his part, was bitterly disappointed that the same God who called him could not, at the very least, arrange a little better reception for him. Oh, Lord, you have seduced me, and I was seduced. His complaint raises the question of his expectations. What did Jeremiah think God had promised him? I know about those expectations. I've had them. When I went to seminary, I thought, because I was doing what God called me to do, studying should be easier. I should be getting really good grades without so much effort. And when I was appointed to my first church, I thought I should be well-received. People would instantly love me and everything would be smooth sailing. After all, I was doing what God called me to do. Where did that message come from? What was God's enticing message? The language Jeremiah used is intriguing because he not only says that God enticed him, but that he was vulnerable to being enticed. Jeremiah was hungry, 
Maybe he was so innocent and idealistic, he missed the warning signs, the signal that blinks on and off. Danger, danger, danger. He saw only what he wanted to see. God dangled something shiny in front of him and he grabbed it. But the hook is always hidden inside something we are hungry for. What was that bait? When it comes to spiritual enticement, the possibilities are vast. One enticement that worked for me was the lure of effectiveness. Like Jeremiah, all I wanted was for people to take me and all my messages to heart. I wanted to know that what I'm what I said mattered to those who listened. All Jeremiah wanted was for the people to listen to him. It was the wish to be effective, and no one, no one is immune to this desire. No one wants to fail. I'm sure Jeremiah wanted to be respected and obeyed, to be held in high esteem. This bait is especially attractive to us clergy. When we say, let us pray, We expect people to bow their heads. And when we preach, we expect people to pay attention and get the message. So in this time of online preaching, how do I even know that there's anyone out there listening? Somewhere listening, let alone paying attention and getting the message, we can't know. And that makes worship and preaching really hard in most circumstances, especially this one. So if you're listening, write in the chat box. I'm listening. <laughs> and then there's this, then there's the best and the most common enticement I can think of. The lure of reward. The belief that if we are faithful to God, we will be rewarded. We will be blessed. And if we pray hard enough like the psalmist did in the opening call to worship, we will be protected and rescued and defended and upheld. We hear it all the time. She was such a good person. Why did that happen to her, of all people? Or he didn't deserve that. He is one of God's saints. We have this strange, built-in, very human sense that we who love God we'll find flowers thrown in our path, the red carpet thrown out, and people will stand back when we pass by and say, my, aren't you something? One Christmas, two people decided to do a good deed for an elderly, for the elderly of a housing project, high-rise building, apartment buildings, So they fixed up these beautiful Christmas baskets. Hillsboro knows all about this because I do this every year, something like this, with the works. Ham, sweet, potatoes, oranges, treats. They loaded all two dozen of them in one of their cars, and off they went to deliver them, feeling really good about it. They worked out this system where they put all the baskets in one elevator, and worked their way up to the top. One of them would deliver baskets at each floor, while the other one would stay behind and hold the elevator. Everything went well until the fourth floor. 
when a gnarly old man stepped into the elevator and pressed the button for the 15th floor. The two people on the mission looked at each other over the stack of baskets left to deliver, and one said with great sensitivity, Sir, we are using this elevator to deliver these Christmas baskets. Would you mind using one of the other elevators? This is my elevator, the man muttered. And the other of the two let out a friendly chuckle, saying, well, I see. Um, but just for today, could you use one of the others? And the man persisted. I told you this is my elevator. You boys go get yourself one of the others. And he turned into an immovable rock on the spot. So they unloaded all the baskets into the hallway, seething with righteous indignation. After the elevator door closed, one said, but we're doing God's work. They were not happy, not feeling blessed. But later, further along in their growth, as disciples of Christ, one of them said, remembering and chuckling about that incident, I guess no good deed goes unpunished. But oh, how we long to be appreciated. We are enticed by the idea that if we do God's work, it will make us glow in the dark so that everyone knows how special we are. It is a seductive idea, and a lot of people fall for it. But it is fiction. It is a figment of our imaginations. What the Bible tells us over and over again, and what our lives tell us, is that the only reward for doing God's work is doing God's work, period. Furthermore, if we do it really well, we are likely to get in trouble, get ourselves ridiculed, even get ourselves killed. Or we might end up in the doghouse, whether it is a shed with a tin can for a telephone or night in stocks or run out of our hometown like Jesus was. That is what success looks like. In the upside down kingdom of God. And so far as I know, no one has ever liked it very much. But we still do God's work. Because we believe in it. Because we want the world to be a better place for our children and our grandchildren. And because the world needs prophets now more than ever. Even Teresa of Avila of the 16th century, after a particularly difficult day, shook her fist at God and said, it's no wonder you have so few friends if this is how you treat them. And then there is Jesus, whose reward for perfect obedience was death on a cross. How, with a God like this, did we ever get the idea that our faith should win us respect or influence or protection? When did we hear God say that that is the way the gospel works? Either we have been seduced or else we have had a glimpse of something more. A glimpse of something in God that eclipses 
all our self-seeking fantasies. I would try to describe it, but it would end up sounding like all the other rewards we look for. There is no reward. There is no reward. There is only the unconditional grace upon grace, self-sacrificing love of God who calls us out of our self-made tombs and raises us from the dead. It looks like tears of joy and moments of breathtaking beauty and powerful poetry and the cry of a newborn baby and music that reaches deep into our souls and profound words that move us into action. We need prophets today. We need to listen to prophets when they speak. We need to be aware of false prophets who tell us what we want to hear or what we already believe and just like in Jeremiah's day there are more false prophets spreading misinformation than those revealing the bare bones of truth maybe you are called to be a prophet but not for any reward there isn't one and not because it will be easy sailing there will only be stormy waters ahead But we need prophets that help us remember our dreams, our hopes, our vision, our direction. We need prophets who upset the status quo, who shake us up and wake us up and challenge us. Prophets who help us remember who we belong to and who help us remember what it means to say, I am baptized. I am a child of God. You are a beloved child of God. We need prophets who tell us God loves us and there is nothing we can do about it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Hillsborough United Methodist Church. Our senior pastor is Clay Andrew. Our pastor for Las Naciones Hispanic Ministries is Jorge Rodriguez. Our media ministers are... Kevin Proctor, Janica Stewart, Perry Hume, Al Dietrich, Christy Proctor, and Dave Rose. Presently, our live stream of services are available at 10 a.m. on the Hillsborough United Methodist Church YouTube page. You can find out more, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube at hillsboroughumc.org. Thank you.